0: this episode of Agentic Shift, we talked to Sanj Parikh, head of client growth at Position Squared, a 200-person performance marketing agency based in Santa Clara, California. Sanj tells us how he went from Lehman Brothers to Hollywood, including a role on Hannah Montana, and then to online marketing. He also shares the genesis of the name Position Squared. Hint, Google nerds will enjoy the story. How the mnemonic RAMP describes great client service and whether you should be worried about algorithms taking your job someday. Enjoy the show. Sanj, thank you for joining us today on Agentic Shift. David, thank you as well. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, great. Excited to talk to you. Position Squared has been around for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess you're kind of an old timer like me. (laughs) We're we're going on 17
1: years. (laughs) Oh, wow. 17 years. It's been a long time. And in the pre-recording, I remember you were asking if it's Position 2 or Position Squared. And it started off as Position 2. Because I guess back in the day, it was determined that the ROI on a Google ranking at position two is better than position one. (laughs) So that was the initial name. And then over time, as we added a whole bunch of more services based on client needs, that little two got pushed up (laughs) into a superscript and now we call ourselves position
0: squared. Uh, I thought maybe you just had such exponential growth as a company that you went from position two to position squared.
1: That that along with it, (laughs) that was a side benefit.
0: I I actually really like that story of how you started out as position two being the optimal position, which actually I think is not always the case, but is often the case still to this day. Right? Yeah, not always, but yeah. But when you look at that marginal next conversion, and if that much
1: gets a little more expensive, being at position one, then you know you want to hold back. So, but yeah, it all varies. And now it's probably all these different degrees. It's like oh, 1.5, 1.7, that type of thing.
0: So, right. Right. Well, of course there was also the if you've been around for seventeen years, you probably still remember the days of overture where you would bid for a position and it would show you what the person above you and below you was bidding. So if you wanted to, you could play a game of chicken where the person in position one was paying five dollars a click and you could bid four ninety nine <laughs> a click and the person in position three was spending three cents a click. So you paid four cents and the people <laughs> in position one paid five dollar. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: so, so that's true visibility.
0: <laughs> yeah. I kind of missed that. That's maybe a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the founding of the company 17 years. So you were actually, I see you qualify as an old timer, an early pioneer. So how did you start Position yeah, Squared? Absolutely. And, and
1: by the way, it was founded by, um, I head up the client growth team. It was so I haven't been at Position Squared for 17 years, but Rajiv is the founder, Rajiv Breek. And he founded the company 17 years ago. So he started off as electrical engineering undergrad, went to HBS for his his, uh, Harvard for his graduate program. But it was kind of interesting because most people went into consulting and investment banking, and he was always a tech guy. So he went off west. I think he worked at uh, Sun and Alta Vista. <laughs> so when they first came that's out. Old school. So and I think that's what that really started his foundation and his love for coming into position square where he really wanted to use his problem solving technical skills and apply that to marketing and he really found that his digital marketing is a great space to do that.
0: So that's where it started. The guys at Media Math came up with this concept instead of Mad Men, they came up with MathNet. <laughs> that's kind of what we do.
1: Yeah, just that marriage of data science and creativity, putting that together always leads to something interesting and dynamic and
0: ever changing. So it's a super exciting space to be in. How did you end up in this space? What's your backstory?
1: I have a super different backstory. So my claim to fame is whatever city I ended up in and what they're most known for is what I end up doing. (laughs) So I'll throw some back at you. So what's New York best known for?
0: Well, I mean, I would say pizza and bagels, but for business, I would say financial services.
1: Right. I worked at Lehman Brothers. I was an institutional trader there. So yeah, and the equities team. And then I moved to LA and what are they best known for?
0: Obviously Hollywood.
1: <laughs> so switched gears entirely and became an actor and tried that out for a bunch of years. So, so that was super interesting. And then San Francisco is known for startups. So ended up in places like position squared. And prior to that, I was at a company called Just Answer where they connected people with professionals and actually Grew to a significant size and really has has done amazing work answering millions of people's questions. It was really cool, cool business. I think I was employee number twenty there.
0: We'll give a shout out to Andy, the founder, who has been an incredible supporter of Ukraine over the last couple of months. Absolutely, yeah.
1: His just undying support is amazing. My understanding is he's paying the folks out there, continuing the team. I think he actually
0: went out there for spring
1: break. He went out there <laughs> so... and he
0: actually he went into Ukraine and delivered supplies to. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, and I think he worked with Starlink and they raised over half a million dollars to help
0: support Ukraine. So yeah, incredible shout out to him and the whole team. I mean, it's amazing work yeah, they do out there. Great guy, great guy and great company. I have to ask, so is there any major theatrical releases that you were in when you were in Hollywood that we should be looking <laughs> for you?
1: No, no, not really. I mean, I ended up only getting one role <laughs> and it was on Hannah Montana. Okay. So <laughs> like you and Miley are The episode was called Achy, Achy, breaky Jakey Part 2.
0: <laughs> are you and Miley in regular correspondence?
1: We were in a scene together. So there's that. So that part didn't go so far. I loved the classes. I loved you know living in other people's shoes. And then I ended up getting a lot of commercial work. So that really kept sustaining. Um, I think I was at, at an audition and it was some sort of business type of commercial. And so basically they had said that, you know, everybody comes in here, they look like an actor wearing a suit. You look like you belong in that suit. And it was probably from my business background. right? So I would just end up booking a lot of those types of gigs. But then I just kind of found that, well, that's not really what I want to do long term. So decided to find the middle ground, which was marketing, where, where you can combine
0: both creativity and business. That's interesting. So obviously, the Lehman Brothers, the, the quantitative analysis, that's obviously a direct fit with SEM. But What about the acting? I mean, do you find that is valuable to you in some capacity in your role today? Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately, to me, the
1: most important thing is empathizing with the target audience, the target audience of the client. So just thinking through, and that's what you do as an actor. As an actor, you live in other people's shoes, right? And then you you try to understand who they are, right, and carry the role. So in that sense, it's similar. Try to just understand, and there's, when you're dealing with things like B2B, where it gets super complex. And what's the difference between the chief HR person versus somebody who's a recruiter? Just understanding all those differences, I think is helpful. It helps developing
0: the messaging framework to help those people be able to onboard with our clients. Yeah, for sure. And you're not the only person I know in Silicon Valley, by the way, who tried to make it in Hollywood. Nice. Wait, who is that? <laughs> uh, well, I've got a friend. My friend Brian. He founded a comparison shopping engine aggregator many years ago. But prior to that, he had a role in the movie First Daughter, where he with um, Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes, no, who is the woman who was married to Tom Cruise? Oh, I mean, there's Nicole Kidman and, oh, and Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. too many celebrities. Go. Anyways, he was in one. He had one line with them, and then I think he still gets a residual check of sixteen dollars a quarter. Yeah, ahead. I think I
1: still get my eighty-five cents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it comes in, in once a quarter. You made or the right like financial decision to go into market <laughs> I, I the market. I think so. Day. I think so. Yeah. So let's talk about Position squared today. I mean, what would you say is the elevator pitch to clients today? Yeah, great question.
1: So we believe that innovators deserve to grow. And that's really foundational to who we are. And we feel that we have the content slash organic, mark tech and ad tech teams. We have a pretty sizable group of over 200 folks, along with a proprietary marketing platform that we built out to really help these innovators manage the complexity that's involved and in marketing and help them scale. So for example, like you know, last week I was at a conference that we actually sponsored and it's just really cool meeting VCs and founders and meeting both groups is super interesting and met this one example, met a person who is doing this 3D body scan for massage therapy and the idea is for them to really re-energize that whole segment and where during COVID a lot of people wouldn't show up and it's a good outlet for like physical therapy departments, sports departments, hospitality, things like that. But him finding a gap in the market, it's just super exciting to be able to engage with these types of folks. Just around the office, we all wear aura rings and <laughs> things like that. So like, I just, just ordered that, one. Yeah, yeah. just kind of like out at the heart of it. Um, definitely the CEO has that in his blood. And I think that's permeated throughout the office. So it's just really, it's something that just embodies who we are. So we have a lot of passion for. And I would say it's not just founding teams. It's also, you know, it could be a disruptive department at major enterprises, things like We have clients who want to disrupt business travel or another one wants to connect interns from underrepresented campuses to businesses. So things like that and just really getting involved and understanding their business models is stuff that excites us.
0: So I think one of the things that a lot of agencies have struggled with is growing their business while supporting startups. And I think that a lot of companies, especially in Silicon Valley, where both of us, we live about a mile and a half from each other here and it's very exciting to work with startups. It's very exciting to see those ideas come to fruition and to see a company go from five people in a garage to going public, et cetera. But from an agency growth perspective, I mean, I think the truism that I've always told people is smaller clients want to spend less money, want more of your time, and are less savvy. (laughs) And so it, Hmm. it can become challenging. And I'm just curious, I mean, you mentioned that you work with innovators and you said it's not just innovators at startups, it can be innovator within a big company, but have you experienced that? Is it a challenge to work with these startups or have you found a way to sort of make it more, I guess, less rocky would be the word?
1: Yeah, it definitely can be. And I think there is a certain size. I think we would more likely deal with those folks who at least have series A under them are typically ones that that's a bit more of our starting point just to the challenges that you described. Ultimately, I would love to really figure out how we can truly help folks at the startup level. And at the same time, I think that's a problem. Other people who are interested in starting their own agencies, and things like that that's something that they should think about. That's a great growth area for them. I think through our marketing platform, I think that could be a good way to get some of these early stage startups to have a tool that helps them really see like, okay, here's my source to close traffic and here's some insights that, that I can gather that I can do some things myself or that's just partially managed. So I think that could be a great way. But yeah, it's all those things that you reflect. And it's also hard once you have a client, it doesn't matter what the size is, you're just invested. And so it's hard not to invest a lot of time and energy into whatever size client that, that you have. So yeah, that can become a challenge for sure. I do think there's a growing number of tools and platforms that are out there that can help. And I think ours is one of them
0: too. Yeah, I've always said that every client thinks they're the most important client and they deserve to think that way. And I think that <laughs> it's kind of piggybacking on what you just said. If you decide to work with a client, once you've committed to that client, you have to be all in. So in some respects, the best thing to do is to say no, if a client is maybe You're kind of borderline, like, I don't know if I'm going to be, this is going to be profitable. I don't know if we're a good fit. It's better to just say no than it is to say yes and then be wishy-washy once you work with them. You have to sort of be all in on every relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there might be consultants and people that we know that we would love to refer them to. So give them a path that helps them move along if it's something that we can't handle.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah yeah so in your role of running client services what are the biggest challenges that you feel like you come up against
1: yeah yeah great question so we have a large team out of india that handles lots of delivery components part there was just the coordination we have it nailed down now but part of that was really that that you know, dealing with that the workflows, the timings and everything and setting up the pure mentality that everybody from the indie team is just as much of a strategist as we are here. And so we're really leveling that. I would say that was the initial problem. And then kind of going forward, some of the stuff that I was talking about, getting everybody to embody that, hey, ultimately we're here for the client's target audience and that we're trying to help them, which ultimately helps the client. I think that's a piece of it. And then I developed what I call the ramp framework. And so I'll just describe that a little more detail with client services. So basically for us, that's The R stands for relationships. So it's really maintaining responsiveness, high quality, developing senior relationships. We all know that CMOs and other folks tend to come and go. And so if we can set ourselves up as the place of record at that company, that really holds us over, that really holds us as well. So really fostering and developing that. A stands for add-ons. So the way I like to think about that is just developing that organically. In other words, coming up with a gap analysis to help us understand that why isn't 100% of the target audience adopt using the client's solution? And really going through the awareness, consideration, those cycles to understand here are some gaps in there and where they are. Here are the services that we have that I can fill them. And that can hopefully put together something that's a little more organic in terms of having them use us more. The M is for managing the PL. So it's kind of like, as you a little bit described before, so making sure that the, hey, it's a relationship between us and the client having them understand what are the expectations, understanding what are their expectations and making sure that's put together and that there may be times where <laughs> the conversations lead to something where you have to make certain decisions. But I think ultimately it's just like, it's forming like, hey, this is a partnership. So it helps us. We want to be profitable. We want you to be profitable type of thing. And then the P performance. So understanding both their short and long-term KPIs and making sure that we adhere to them. So it's a challenging role because I think A lot of these are in some ways fulfilled by other folks. Like you can say that part of this is what a BD person would do. Part of this is what a delivery person would do, right? So part of this is what a project manager would do. So the
0: client services person has to sit on top of all of that, which is challenging. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we used to talk about this concept of preventable attrition and non-preventable attrition. I'm not coming up with the right pronoun for that, but the concept being that as an agency, you're going to lose clients. It's just the way of the world. And the question is, when you lose a client, is it something that you could have done something to avoid, or was it unavoidable? And so I love this concept of the three of the four, which is the relationships, the add-ons, and the performance are all related to retaining clients, really. I mean, on, on a relationship level, if a new CMO comes in and you don't bother to introduce yourself, and then the CMO says, I'm firing you, even though the relationship is great. I mean, that was an avoidable loss. So I think that's really smart. And then on the managing PL, I think this is one of the hardest things that agencies struggle with, which is going back to a client and saying, Hey, we love you. We're not making any money on this relationship. And I've always said to clients, partnership means profit on both sides. And for me, a client who is unwilling to listen to that argument that like, hey, I need to make a profit too, that's an example of someone who's treating us like a vendor and not like a partner. And then it goes back to your other objective, which is about retention. If someone treats you like a vendor, it doesn't matter what you can do. You can come up with the best add on gap analysis and drive the best performance. And then someone else comes along and says, I'll do it for 20% cheaper. They're like, all right, see you later.
1: Yeah. I, I think the clients who express that long view or are willing to work with you. We're thankful that we have all of our clients are that way. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, those who aren't, yeah, they tend to we, drop off one drop way or the, the other over time.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, and an idea that I had that I never implemented was create a call it a relationship contract with clients. So obviously we all have client contracts, this is how much you pay us, this is what happens when you don't pay us, et cetera. But I wanted to create a relationship contract, which was basically to go to a client and say, listen, we want a true partnership. So number one, you need to treat us like, we have to have a seat at the table. So whatever data your internal team has, we need to have access to it. We wanna have at least a, one conversation in a quarter with your CMO, we want to be, et cetera, et cetera. So you go through and you sort of ask people, the client, are you willing to sign up for a relationship contract? Because if they're not, if they're like, no, I don't care about any of that. You're never going to talk to the CMO. I'm not sharing my data. Just do what you're told. Then that's a sign that the relationship's not going to last. Right. Yeah.
1: I think that's a fantastic idea. And I would add that too, it comes from both ends too. So there's an onus on us to be able to really understand the client's business. So I'll say things like, have you linked in with the point of contacts? Have you tried to link in with the senior ones? Or do you follow the company? So there's a lot of news that that comes out and that might might bring about some new ideas. So things like that, and just understanding, empathizing what they're going through, right? That's the other part of the relationship, right? (laughs) It's the two sides. It's so rewarding because you just ultimately get put into more strategic discussions where you know, you're sitting around with a bunch of their execs and it's just a rewarding feeling. So I think it's, it ends up being
0: great on both sides. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I know for me, when I started my agency, I just thought performance was the only thing that mattered. And so I could care less about building relationships or understanding what's happening in the news about the client. And that worked for some clients, but for a lot of clients, ultimately, it just was a short-sighted strategy. I mean, you can drive great results, but at some point, someone comes along with strategy in addition to great results, they're going to win. Totally. And
1: we've had clients where we've lost and we've had great performance. (laughs) And it probably was a result of not doing enough to build up the relationship. Or it's like you said, there are some that are completely out of your control. I mean, honestly, when a CMO comes in and they've worked with an agency for 20 years and they're comfortable with that. Okay. <laughs> There's a logic there. And again, it's interesting that, but at least at least knowing like, okay, we did everything we possibly could do under our control. That's another thing that we try to key on is that what are the activity-based things that you as a team member can control that will drive? The way we structure things is just what's the stuff that's in your control. So that's why, for example, the add-on is not trying to sell something. It's like, hey, just create the gap analysis. Just do that. That frame of mind will make you more strategic rather than trying to say that okay did you close this or
0: whatever so we're not about that so it's
1: a little bit of the differentiating that i think has worked out well for us
0: yeah there's no downside to recommending improvements to a client whether or not that drives direct revenue or not it's still building relationships and actually i was going to say you sparked uh, something at me where one of the things i used to say is a great relationship and bad results is better than a bad relationship and great results so the truth of the matter is that performance if you don't get along with the client if you can have the best performance in the world you're still going to lose that client but ironically you can actually have mediocre performance and have yeah. an amazing relationship and you're probably going to keep that client longer that, or, that may not be right in the world but that's i think a reality or what
1: happens is there's so much movement they're also moving around right this ecosystem is pretty small if you think about it and so some of our best clients are the ones where the POC has you know, decided to move on to another place, and then they take us along, or they'll refer us to another department, or things like that. So, like as that web grows, that's really ultimately. I always talk about the story. Maybe this goes back to a little bit to the acting stuff. <laughs> what's, what's, like, the what's,
0: what's, what's the conflict? What's the conflict? What's Act Two resolution?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What's, what's the my setup? motivation? Conflict resolution. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, those challenges and overcoming them. Absolutely, and. Just forget about the revenues in a way. What's that cool story that we'll have that where the client is like, Yeah, I got the next round of funding or I got an exit, and they they really sincerely feel that we were contributors in that and we get something that reflects that. That cool story, that cool feeling that that you'll get, that's ultimately what we want to drive. Those are the things that everybody remembers and it just keeps kind of growing and fostering from there.
0: That's great. Yeah, I'll share one story related to that. I actually had a vendor that I worked with who helped me on some. Search Engine Optimization before I started my agency, even. Small vendor, small company, but I just always tried to treat everyone with respect and try to sort of take the Zappos approach of just like, be nice to everyone. Don't sort of just kiss up and kick down, as they say. I just kept in touch with him, tried to help him out where I could. And one day after I started the agency, he texted me and he said, Hey, David, I have a new job. I may need your help. And I was like, okay, sure. What is it? And I can't say the name of the company, but what I will say is he went and joined a company that I think probably is in the top 10 spenders in the world on Google advertising. And he hired us <laughs> based on that one phone call. And to this day, they are still a client. And again, I wasn't being friendly to him in a sort of false way. I was just genuinely yeah. trying to help people because he was a, he's a genuinely good guy. That relationship yep. wasn't profitable initially, but then it turned out to be an incredible relationship for me and for my company. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I yeah.
1: totally believe in connecting people and it doesn't have to be direct to marketing or anything just helping people whether they're there or whether they've moved on
0: i think it's a great way and then a lot of times you see that circle back yeah circle back yeah so you have a interesting challenge in the sense that you have a team in india and a team here and i mean obviously culturally There's a lot of differences. I mean, I've managed a team at Bangalore, so I have direct experience with it. How do you blend the culture? What are the cultural values that you try to create consistency amongst your teams in the US and overseas?
1: Yeah, I'll go back just to one instead of just a hammer at home. At the end of the day, getting everybody aligned and the best way I think to get them aligned is like, how do we empathize with the target audience of the clients? That I think becomes that core that helps people come together (laughs) because we all have a common mission, right? So I think that's part of it. I generally find that the team members here in the U.S., and there's a lot of that backwards and forwards empathy that understands like, okay, we want to be able to have these meetings at such a time that fits both schedules and and things like that. There was a little bit at the beginning where I felt that the India team was not always viewed as pure strategist. And that was one of the early things that I just wanted to completely nip in the bud because they're just ridiculously smart capable. Some of the cultural differences, sometimes they're a little bit quiet, which I think is taken the wrong way. And once you understand that, there's so much value that can be brought on by both sides. So that's the long and the short is really setting just the core value, letting lead from that, then hammering out every small issue or whatever that may come up like, okay, now we have a, a 24-7 on-call system that allows them their time, but then make sure that we're addressing the client, things like that. So yeah, I would say that's the way that we've helped to kind of shape things. There's a bunch that we do in terms of our, so the platform that we've developed also is a collaboration platform. So it has both where client can create briefs, they can collaborate and you can do approvals on the fly and things like that. And then there's a dashboarding solution to it, which is called Calibrate. So within that collaboration, so now you have full visibility and transparency. So you can see where your projects are. I think that has really helped us in putting together all the workflows and stuff. So all of that has really helped us to really bridge anything you know between the US and
0: India. So your team doesn't have to be in Slack all day. They're your version of Slack.
1: <laughs> yeah, it integrates with Slack and we certainly, we certainly use Slack as well, but it's a combination of both. So when it's very project related, then we'll use the platform.
0: Got it, okay. I guess the last question I wanna ask you is, if you look back on your career in client services and even looking back at the history of the agency, what advice would you give to someone who's either would be starting in your role tomorrow, the new leader of client service, or who was thinking about starting an agency? What's the lesson or two that you'd impart upon them?
1: One I would say is definitely start this notion that what's going to happen to agencies in the future. I think there's always going to be a gap. I think there's always this thing where, oh, the algorithms are going to take over whatever. But honestly, if the algorithms take over everything, then how do you get advantage in the market? So I think there's always a gap. There's like, you know, just like we talked about earlier that okay, how do you dress startups? That would be a great problem. Very early stage startups. That'd be a great problem to solve. So I think there's always a space in, in the market. I would say that transparency is a huge thing I would impart to anybody who wants to start making sure that you're fully transparent with the client at at the outset. Don't be afraid of, and there's plenty of stories I've seen where When you disclose exactly what happened, the client's going to understand and they actually appreciate that more and they trust you a lot more. This is a super fragmented field. And so one of the keys is establishing trust. And so when you're transparent and you're visible, if they drop off, then you probably didn't want that client
0: anyways. So I think those are some of the lessons. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I often say here in Silicon Valley, I always say it's a small valley and your reputation is your brand and your business. And so if you're not transparent with your clients, if you're hiding the ball or only trying to steer the conversation towards the good news and not the bad news, eventually you get a reputation for being someone who is opaque and not forthright. And eventually your referrals start to dry up, especially, I mean, as you said, you're going for businesses that are beyond Series A and beyond, I mean, both of our businesses are going after enterprise clients. And most of those clients come from word of mouth. I mean, at least in my experience, I think a lot of agencies think that they can hire a salesperson and then just rocket their way to the top of the business. But the reality is, at least in my experience, the majority of business comes from word of mouth, from past clients and from connections. And so if you're not transparent, your business will dry up for that very reason.
1: The marketing teams are way too sophisticated so to rely on sales alone, I mean, usually this, the salesperson also has to have that experience and be strategic, which they are, but it's a full complement. You need the team there behind you really in order to drive things. And yeah, so, and I think this, those sophisticated marketers have probably had their share of times where things haven't totally worked out. So they understand. And so I think through that, you're just going to get at the end of the day, that great relationship that's going to help you grow.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Well, this has been great. I mean, I think everyone who's listening to this will of course have to go back and watch Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana and find out where your big breakthrough role is. Yeah, if that's the one takeaway from this, yeah. from this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Don't check out my IMDb. Frankly, I mean, being connected to Miley Cyrus, you get some street cred with some people for that. So that's impressive. <laughs> but no, thank you for the conversation, Sounds. Really enjoyed talking to you. Congrats on the success of Position Squared. And yeah, we'll maybe have you on at a later date and get an update.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much. And thanks for doing this. I think this is a great outlet for people both who want to start agencies, who want to grow agencies and marketers in
0: general. So I think it's a great thing you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. A new episode of Agentic Shift drops every Wednesday. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit agenticshift.com to see the latest episode.